Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to continue to review the Bengals offseason, and we're also going to have a really special guest from Fox 19 in Cincinnati, Joe Daneman. What's up, guys? This is Evan McPherson, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. We're in the home stretch now. The draft is done. Free agency is pretty much over. OTAs, voluntaries, all the offseason stuff is now behind us. And we have about a 30-day period where there's not much going on NFL-wise. But then it all starts. Training camp, preseason games. Before you know it, the regular season. Next thing you know, we're in the playoffs. And, you know, we're sitting here 10 months from now with our first Super Bowl ring. All right, so let's move on to some headlines. So voluntaries are done. And as you all know, we had virtually perfect attendance. Jesse Bates didn't attend because of contract reasons. That's understandable. We've talked about it before. And Trey Hendrickson didn't attend because he wanted to work out on his own. You know, maybe he's healing some injuries that we don't know about. You know, maybe he just has it in his head where he, he would do better in his home environment. He knows he's going to be investing a lot into this season. And I'm fine with that. The season that he had last year was game-changing, and he was a very key component in taking this team into the Super Bowl. So pretty much 99% attendance at these voluntaries, and that's a unified team, That just like last year. Last year was 100%. This year, very close. So same mentality. It's, it's a team that wants to win. It's young, hungry players that are putting their NFL careers ahead of almost everything else in their lives. And what did we have happen at voluntaries? The main thing... No injuries. We got through it. You know, I, I Kappa with the core, I don't know if that was before voluntaries, but there were no significant injuries during the spring practices, which is huge. We can get at least into training camp in one piece and cross our fingers for some good luck there. The rookies look good. They're looking like they're blending in and hustling, and, you know, there's a, there's a lot to work with there, a lot of young, fast players. You know, a hidden guy in there. Tyson Anderson, watch out for him. I'm not sure that he's going to supplant any starters this year, but he just looks like he will fight at the drop of a hat. He looks like someone that you just do not mess with. He's hungry, looks extremely tough, and I don't know. He could be this hidden gem on special teams that's just knocking people all around the field. 
And going back to Joe Burrow, obviously he impressed. He ran 20 miles an hour, so his legs are getting back under him. That's a deadly weapon when you have a quarterback that can throw like that, that has that kind of speed. And it's kind of sneaky speed because he's not known for being like a Lamar Jackson type fast. But man, if you're running 20 miles an hour, you're going to be ahead of a lot of guys out on that football field. So that was very encouraging. And how do they end voluntaries? Evan McPherson, the Joe Burrow of kickers, 63-yarder to send us off into a month of rest and relaxation for the players. And guys, just get your minds straight. You know, you have a month to heal your bodies, a month to get your mind where, where it needs to be. I know most of the players are going to be practicing and training and doing everything during this month off, but this is like their last chance to recharge. So yes, Evan McPherson brings us into this month of no football with a 63-yarder. Look out for him to bang a couple of those over the course of this year and years to come. I guess one piece of big news that happened, and it's somewhat negative, is Larry Ogunjobi signed with the Steelers of all teams. He's got to go to a division rival. You know, that's that's what happens. When you have a good player like that out there, and you know our mindset was, oh, you know, we'll sign him when we're ready. We'll let him heal up. He'll be there. He'll be sitting on the couch waiting for the phone to ring from us. And it turns out, your divisional rival goes and gets him. And I hate when divisional rivals take our guys because I just feel like they're trying to get intel on the Bengals. And that's what they're getting in Okanjobi. They're going to get a great player to join a great defensive line with Hayward and Watt and Highsmith, that whole crew over there. Adding him into that mix is going to be very, very dangerous. And, you know, he, he knows the vulnerabilities on our offensive line too. He hasn't really faced Kappa, so that's a good thing. But, you know, the other guys who are the front runners for the left guard... Ogunjobi knows them pretty well from practicing against them. So that's going to be a little dangerous. That's a big threat, and it's a shame that he did sign with the Steelers of all teams. I mean, even the Ravens would have been better than the Steelers, but that's the way it goes. You can't sleep on good players. So Cordell Volson signed. He was the last draft pick to actually sign. And as a fourth rounder, I don't know what the what the delay was. I don't know. It couldn't have been money because everything is slotted. Maybe there was just some other terms and some language. Maybe his agent's a real hardballer. I don't know. It just it took a little too long to get a fourth-round guard signed there. But you know what? He's, he's in the fold. He'll be here for training camp. And, you know, we move forward from there. Other news, it looks like Huber and Harris had the leg up on Chrisman and Adamitis. So it looks like the veterans are a little bit ahead of the younger players to make the roster. And I'm assuming... Huber and Harris are going to get at least another year in stripes, and the other guys hopefully can stick around and develop for the future. You guys know what I'm rooting for. You know Harris is one of my favorite Bengals, and obviously Huber's given us so much great service, and keep the band together for one more year. I want to see those two guys in particular because they played so many games and so many seasons as Bengals. I want to see them get a Super Bowl ring. It was nice that they went there last year, and this year we look like a team that can get over that hump, and it would be nice to see maybe Huber retires with a ring, you know, maybe Harris reaches the twilight with a ring, but, you know, that's that's what I'm hoping for for both of those guys. And the young guys, hey, if, if you win the position, then you were the better player, and then that's good for the team as well. So good luck to all. We don't lose either way. It's amazing that we have two great, three great specialists, obviously Evan McPherson, and we have two guys backing up them that look like they're ready for the NFL too. So good things on all fronts for special teams. On to Joe Burrow. I can't go an episode without mentioning him, of course. I mean, he is the franchise, let's be honest. He's getting a Sports Illustrated cover right before the season comes out. 
So already you can see that the glamour is going to start finding him because he's so likable, so good, such a leader. It's just a matter of time before he is just all over the media and the poster boy for the NFL. Watch. This is just the beginning of it. And he's in the recruiting process again. He's going to Las Vegas with Jesse Bates, which I think is a great idea. And that's another thing that Joe Burrow's been doing. He's been talking to free agents and convincing guys to either stay in Cincinnati or come to Cincinnati. And that's great when your best player is one of your top recruiters and everybody wants to play with this guy. So I hope that Jesse Bates' trip goes well. And at worst, Jesse comes back for another year and he gets a ring as well. And then we can look past, you know, we can look for the future down the road on what's going to happen with him. But let's get him in for this year. So great idea that Joe Burrow is going to be going away with him. And I was looking at some stats on Burrow, and I never hit you guys with too many stats. Because like I said, it it all just starts becoming noise when it's number after number. And I'd rather just talk to you in, in reality, you know, like the eye test, or this is what I feel, or, you know, this is how watching this player, this is the impressions that I get, right? But I am going to hit stats for one second. Joe Burrow. There's two big stats in the NFL. I would say yards per attempt and completion percentage are right there. I'm, and and touchdown-to-interception ratio is also very big, too. But yards per attempt is a big number, and your completion percentage, that means that you're, you're throwing successful passes and moving the ball. He led the NFL in both of those categories last year. He was second in passer rating, which is the other barometer for you know how good of a year you had as a quarterback. Aaron Rodgers was first. Joe Burrow was second and everyone else was a distant third and beyond. And then to that touchdown-interception ratio that I just mentioned, 34-14. to 14. And, you know, he had the one game against the Bears, I think it was three interceptions. You know, it was a couple against the Jets. There was a couple, like, weird interceptions that inflated that number. But when he was in a groove, he was in a groove the whole season, let's not lie, but when he really got in a groove, say the second half or second two-thirds of the season – those interceptions went down, and I'm predicting that that TD interception ratio is even better this year. And 34 to 14 is an excellent ratio, but like I said, I think that he's going to improve on that as well. And I mentioned before the 20 miles an hour running, it's going to be a weapon. Not wearing the knee brace, you know, that's that mental confidence that's there. You know, it takes a while to recover from an ACL, you know, sometimes up to two years. I mean, he did it in less than one, but now as he's reaching that you know what, a year and a half point or so, he's getting even more confident, and that's going to be a more deadly Joe Burrow. So really exciting stuff there. And then we go to the Joe Burrow quotes from this past week or two, and I'm not going to read them word for word, but one of them was, we're locked in, it's go time. I mean, that's a great mentality to have in, in June already. And then I'm thinking about football every day. You know, he elaborates on on that. So the football season never ends for someone like Joe Burrow. It's not like, oh, I need to get away and, and take a break. And It's all football all the time, and it's showing in his game. And then he had another quote that I really liked, uh, talking about being a quarterback, and it's less of a physical position but more of like a mental chess game with the other team. And I agree with that. I think that's a, a great way to look at it. And he also says that you know he doesn't take the same amount of hits and wear and tear on the body as the other positions. I mean, even though he was sacked 71 times, that's a lot of hits. But I, I like the fact that, you know, he, he appreciates the rest of his guys that are really, you know, banging heads on every play. And a quarterback doesn't necessarily have that much physicality or as much as those guys. And in this quote, he also said that when he does get hit, he likes to spring right back up and not have bad body language. Those are good things. When your quarterback takes a, takes a pounding and he gets right up, 
that sends a message to everybody. That's to your team, like, wow, this guy's a warrior just like us. To the other team, like, wow, what does it take to phase this guy? And the bad body language, we've seen it. I'm, I'm, I'm naming names. Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray. I mean, you could go back. Ben Roethlisberger, I know he's, he's ancient history at this point. But, you know, those are three guys that I've seen have very bad body language on the field when things didn't go their way. And Joe Burrow had a reason. I mean, he got assaulted his first two years. You know, he, he's taken some brutal, brutal hits. The, the hit to the throat, I, I swear he was concussed at one point this year, but too tough to show anyone. And, I mean, just a lot. We saw him, how many times he get up limping on his good knee, and we're like, oh, my God. And so many awkward hits and so many pull-downs. And, you know, you have an Aaron Donald, who's one of the strongest men around, just throwing you down or, or landing on you or, or just shoving you as hard as he can. Those are hard hits to withstand. And Joe Burrow just gets up, just gets up from all of them and doesn't have bad posture, isn't calling people out. He just mans up, moves on to the next play. I mean, he's talked about this in his quotes, but these are stuff that we see. The eye test that I mentioned before, this is what you see out of Joe Burrow. That's a winner. That's a leader. I know I go crazy talking about how good this guy is, but I've never seen another one like him. I really have not, and I've been following this team through it all. You know, I, I was there for Ken Anderson. I was there for Boomer Esiason. Andy Dalton, Carson Palmer, Jeff Blake, John Kitna, you name it. Any Bengal quarterback, there has never been one like him. Ken Anderson was great. Boomer Esiason was great. Carson Palmer had all the pure quarterback skills. Andy Dalton won a lot of games. There has never been another one like this guy that we have right now. And I'm so thankful. It has just changed everything. All right, last piece of news is... Yours truly actually visited Cincinnati. I went to OTAs with the hopes of meeting a bunch of the players, having some of the guys do promos for the show, maybe an impromptu interview, or just build awareness where, hey, all the guys on the team know know the show. And that, that was my main goal. You know, you try DMing the players, and they're just so overwhelmed with requests, and everybody's pulling at them. And, you know, the more successful the player, the harder he is to reach because, like I said, get in line. You know, there's probably hundreds of people that are DMing them every day. So, you know, it's tough getting getting a hold of these guys. So I decided to take matters into my own hands, and I went out to Cincinnati with the goal of meeting a bunch of them. And I'm not going to give you too much of what went on out there because I'm going to be making a documentary called Finding Joe Burrow. So stay tuned for that. But it was a good time, and a lot of good things happened. And you realize sometimes the journey is better than the destination. You know, I went there with one goal in mind, and that was to get Joe Burrow on this show. And the other things that happened along the way were just as good. And they were things that I didn't expect. And you realize sometimes you, you just, all you see is the end goal. And you don't appreciate all the cool things that happen on the way. And that's not just for a trip to Cincinnati. That's everything in life. And this trip taught me that. The unofficial Bengals podcast is proud to welcome, from Fox 19, Joe Daneman. All right, I'd like to welcome a very special guest. Now, this is someone that I met when I was in Cincinnati. I met him at Paul Brown Stadium, and it was a gentleman who had full access. He could go on the field. He was interacting with the players. He was all over the stadium, and his name happens to be Joe. After I talked to him, he agreed to do an interview for the show, 
And he said, well, I'm not as cool as Joe Burrow or Joe Mixon or not even Joey Votto. And uh, after chatting with him for a few, I realized he was just as cool, if not cooler than those guys. So I would like to introduce from Fox 19, sports anchor, great guy, Joe Daneman. Joe, how are you today? I'm great, Frank. I got a funny story about my name here. Okay, so I've mentioned the name Joe, at least for me, doesn't carry the same weight as it used to now that Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, Joey Votto are more important Joes in Cincinnati. So when the Reds are on Big Fox, National Fox TV, I work for the Fox affiliate in Cincinnati, we have a post-game and pre-game show. We try to make some money with the Reds being on Fox. And not 10 years ago, Joe Morgan was one of our sponsors. He has a car dealership here in town, so we thought it'd be a great tie-in to have Joe Morgan be part of the show. So he became the title sponsor, his dealership, and part of the deal was that he would join us post-game for a segment. So we're on the field after the Reds play a Saturday afternoon game and Joe Morgan standing next to me. And there's about a couple dozen fans left in the stands. And we're in a commercial break before it comes back to us. And all these fans are yelling, Hey, Joe, Joe, trying to get Joe's attention. I turn to Joe Morgan. I say, Joe, I don't think they're talking to me. He stops, looks at me and says, I know they're not talking to you. That's the kind of hall of fame swag you got to have to be a Joe in Cincinnati these days. So yeah, I'm like, I don't know, the fifth or sixth most important Joe in Cincinnati. But hey, that's still not a bad spot to be at, though. All right. So, you know what? Let's actually start off with some Cincinnati-based questions, and then maybe we can move into some Bengal stuff as well. In general, can you give one comment about Cincinnati sports? So it's a good time for Cincinnati sports right now. And I say that knowing that the Reds are literally in last place in all of Major League Baseball. That's a big ball and chain right now on the high of the Bengals. But you look at not just the Bengals right now where they've hit a a point where I don't think they've ever been this popular in this city at this point. They've sold out season tickets for the first time ever. And then University of Cincinnati football did the same. They sold out their season tickets as well because they made the college football playoff for the first time ever last year. So there's this high right now of football in Cincinnati, like I've never seen it before. And it's exciting for me doing what I do for a living. And then you have the new Major League Soccer team who's in playoff contention for the first time ever. So you're looking at a really golden age of Cincinnati sports right now. If they could just get the Reds to catch up and stop trading all of, them, all of their good players away and start playing competitive baseball again, we'd have them coming along for the ride as well. But right now, people have always said that Cincinnati is a baseball town does not feel like it right now I've never felt this city feel like it does right now for the Cincinnati Bengals and right now it is transitioning to a football town because anything the Bengals do right now me being in the news business they're a news story they're not a sports story anymore everything the Bengals do right now is a lead story in Cincinnati so I I think you're starting to see this transition away from a traditional baseball town to now one of the hottest football towns in America it does make your job actually more exciting to because the you know the NFL is the most popular sport in the country, and to have the Bengals be so exciting and the University of Cincinnati to be I, I considered them a small town college you know compared to the big programs that are there year after year, I mean just two amazing stories in football to be honest with you, and it kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. Look, Luke Fickle has done an amazing job, and people in Cincinnati know Luke Fickle because of his ties to Ohio State, and there are a lot of Ohio State fans in Cincinnati, but he's come down here, and this has always been a stepping stone program where coaches do well, then leave. Brian Kelly did it. Bush Jones did it. Luke Fickle had the opportunity here to go to Notre Dame 
He chose to stay at Cincinnati. I think that says a lot about the program. And I think it's a lot to do with the fact that they are entering the Big 12 next year. So you're seeing this program vault itself now into a Power 5 conference. And I don't know why Luke Fickle would leave. Now that he's recruiting the way he's recruiting in a recruiting rich state like Ohio and now entering a Power 5 conference, he's got everything he wants here. And I think it's going to have him stay around for a long time. So the football here in Cincinnati right now is on a level of excitement I've never seen. And you're seeing it with the fans now. People want to go. They want to be a part of it. And that's why season tickets for the Bengals and the Bearcats have both been sold out for the first time ever before the season. I love it. All right, let's move on to some top Cincinnati sports moments. And you've seen a lot over your – I mean, you've been covering pretty much for two decades almost. If you could pin down a few of the top sports moments in Cincinnati history, what would they be? Well, I think you have to go first to Pete Rose breaking Ty Cobb's record. Pete Rose breaking the all-time hits record. I I know Pete Rose. (laughs) I get it. You know, there's there's a lot of baggage that comes with Pete Rose. But him breaking that record and doing it in Cincinnati – in his hometown, uh, that's the kind of stuff they write movies about, right? So I think that's the top all-time sports moment in Cincinnati history. Mm. Uh, you look at the World Championships, certainly uh, the Reds winning with the Big Red Machine twice in the 70s, coming back in 1990 as well, winning a championship. So those are all-time high moments. I have a hard time, Frank, nailing down a top Bengals moment. And you might be able to help me because I, I know it's recency bias, but you look at just what happened this last playoff run. Okay, so to break the 30 year plus curse of not winning a playoff game and to do it inside Paul Brown Stadium. Look, I know this team made the Super Bowl, won the AFC championship, but you could argue and I would believe you if you said that was the all time top Bengals moment was them breaking the curse in Paul Brown Stadium with Jermaine Pratt intercepting Derek Carr at the goal line to preserve that championship win or that playoff win just the next week. Evan McPherson kicking a 50-yarder to win it in a playoff game. I mean, that's got to be on there. And then to go to Kansas City and kick another field goal to go to the Super Bowl. So, look, if you made a top 10 of all-time Cincinnati sports moments, I think the Bengals probably banked three moments right there in one year. So I'm curious what Bengals fans think of the all-time top moments for the Bengals. Look, we know there, there was a long time where there weren't any right? In the 90s, there just was this dead period, this desert dry period of no big moments for the Bengals. But, you know, making the Super Bowl in 88 was awesome. Um, It's it's hard to pin down a great moment from that season. Um, I know you know it well. I remember it well. Uh, Maybe clinching home field against the Redskins when Chip Lowmiller missed the field goal was a big time moment. But the AFC championship game, the Bengals controlled that from start to finish against the Bills. Maybe Stanford Jennings returning the kick for a touchdown in the Super Bowl certainly is up there. But I, I do think what the Bengals did this playoff run, the way they won, the dramatic fashion they won, I think those moments to me stand out. And it might be recency bias, but certainly Pete Rose's hit and what the Bengals did here recently feel like to me some of the all-time great moments. I don't think anyone's going to argue with you on that. And, you know, I'm more of a football fan than, than a baseball fan, but I was always a fan of Pete Rose. I, I, when I was younger, I read a book because it taught you how to hustle. You know, it was like a a book on hustling in baseball. So I actually patterned my baseball game as a youth after him and, you know, working on getting base hits and sprinting to first base after a walk. So totally understood. And I agree with all those moments. And yes, there were great moments for the Bengals to make both of those Super Bowls. But this year, there was something so magical about it. Yeah, the, the Raiders game, I'll never forget. I'll never forget the feeling on the field after the Raiders win 
And I'm sure we'll talk a lot about Joe Burrow during this, but it was this, this euphoria. And then 10 minutes later, Joe Burrow gets in front of a microphone and basically says, we expected that. And, and just, and he refocuses not only his teammates, but the entire city, because I, I think the energy around Paul Brown Stadium and the energy around the team sometimes is picked up on what the city is feeling. And for Joe Burrow to reset the entire city with just that one line, I think that was really important to their playoff run. And that's, to me, what I always remember was this huge celebration on the field and Joe Burrow just kind of running off the field like, eh, we expected this. And that's him. And I think that's forever going to be part of the identity of the season is how Joe Burrow kept resetting the narrative, not only for his teammates, but for the entire city as well. That's great. And I think it's the first of many big moments for Joe Burrow and this team. All right, let's move on to you personally. So in my opinion and in most people's opinion, you have a pretty cool job being a sports anchor and covering sports. And what's what's like a day in the life of Joe Daneman like? It's different every day. And I think that's kind of the uh, draw to this job is, is having a different experience every single day, because some days you'll be covering a Super Bowl. Some days you'll be covering a high school swim meet. You know, it's, it's all over the map and you got to be versatile to be able to do all those things. Uh, there, there's no typical day, but, you know, it's usually it's a lot of hours. It's uh, sometimes 10, 11 hour days, depending on you know, when the Bengals have practice that day, when the locker room availability is. So that might be in the morning. And then you have to do evening and late newscasts as well. So it's very demanding. It's a very demanding job. It's a very competitive job. Uh, but at the same time, you get these experiences that you wouldn't get otherwise. And that's what I signed up for. I When I got into this business, I wanted to go places that I never would go before. And the Bengals have afforded me that because for the longest time, the Bengals allowed the media to fly with the team now, that's changed because of COVID. We haven't been on a flight since COVID, but I flew with the team to London, Miami, San Francisco, LA, New York. I've been all over the United States and parts of the globe because of the Bengals and because of this job. So to have those experiences is something that I think I'll look back on in 20, 30 years when I'm retired and said, that's why I did it because of the people I got to meet because of the places I got to go. Um, I, I think the big misnomer about my job is that you get to watch a lot of games. I really don't get to watch a lot of games. They're always on in the background because I have to talk about them at some point. But the only games I really typically do watch from start to finish are Bengals games because that's such a big event. You know, there's eight of them at home a year, sometimes nine now with the expanded schedule. So you have to tailor your entire day around it. Everything you talk about the, that day and that night is about the Bengals game, and I'm there to cover the game. So the biggest misnomer about my job is, oh, I get to watch all these baseball games and all these basketball games and get to do all that. Typically, I show up at the end of the game and just do interviews about a game I didn't see. That That's that's part of the job, is, is, is being able to look at a box score or being able to uh, go on Twitter or talk to people who have watched the game and form an opinion on what I just saw so I can talk about it on television. So uh, I think as I've gotten older in my career, I've really started to embrace the storytelling part of my job. It's it's less about hits, runs, errors, final scores, highlights, that kind of stuff. That's always part of the job, but people can get that in so many different places. I, I try to be different to try to tell a more human interest story and help people learn more about the athletes that they follow, the coaches that they follow. And to me, that's become what I'm passionate about as I've gotten more mature in my job. 
I think that's an amazing perspective too, because I mean, people do like the human element. That's so much more relatable than numbers. And, you know, like you said, people can get numbers and stats and game recaps from anywhere, but human interest stories and relatable things on a human level, that's a great perspective. And, you know, that's, that's why you're where you're at. And all right, let's, let's move on to another aspect of your life. What's two, this is a double-sided question. What's your favorite sport to personally play? and your favorite sport to cover? I'm a basketball guy. I've always loved playing basketball. I'm really short. It doesn't, well, I know people are listening to audio, but you saw me in person. You met me. You know, I'm a pretty average size guy, 5'10", 5'11". So I didn't have a future playing basketball, but that's my favorite sport to play. I love to play basketball, always have. Uh, It was always my favorite sport, Frank, to cover as well. College basketball is really big in this region. Within a hundred mile radius, you've got Cincinnati, Xavier, UK, Ohio State, Indiana. So there is a vast fan base. And for the longest time, you know, look, the Bengals weren't doing much. The Reds were kind of up and down. College basketball dominated the Cincinnati sports scene for a really long time. The rivalries here are great. The teams are always good. Somebody's always making a March run. But something's happened here in the last two years where I've changed. And now my favorite sport to cover. It's not my favorite sport to watch. Still my favorite sport to watch, basketball. Favorite sport to play, basketball. Favorite sport now to cover, here's why, the interest has never been greater, okay? Cincinnati Bengals. So now my favorite thing to do is cover NFL games. Because when you do this job and you invest so much of your time and of your life, and look, I miss a lot of my kids' games, a lot of practices, because I'm working weekends, long hours, tough things like that. But when there's the interest there is right now in the Bengals, it's worth it. It feels like you're doing something people care about. And talking about, I mean, I can, I can tweet right now, Frank, just the name Joe Burrow. If I tweeted Joe Burrow, it would get like 300 likes because yeah. people are obsessed with the Bengals right now. And that's great, not only for business, but it's good for my mental psyche too, knowing that whatever I'm doing that day, people care about this. People want to see this. So when I go to training camp practice now, it's when Andy Dalton was there, you know, it was one of those things where I'd, I'd put something on Twitter and it would, you know, it would get a few likes here and there and get some interaction now, if I put a pass from Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase on there, there's 500 likes and there's 400 interactions. And I, I, I feel like I'm providing something now people care about. And that, to me, is empowering. And so it's, it's kind of rejuvenated my passion for covering the NFL is how good the Bengals are now and just how passionately they are followed by the fans. So that's why it's become my favorite sport to cover, just because people care more than ever here in Cincinnati. So any game day, any practice day anymore, any open locker room has almost become an event. I've, I've said it multiple times now. Whenever Joe Burrow talks, it becomes an event in Cincinnati. Frank, we break into programming sometimes when Joe Burrow talks to, to cover his press conferences live on the local Fox TV station. That's wild. I mean, I can't believe that's happening now, but it's happening. And we're going to take advantage of it for as long as we can because we've never seen interest this high in Cincinnati. And that's rewarding for your job. I mean, if, if your career is to cover sports and you have people that actually care about all the nuances like that, that is rewarding. And back to Joe Burrow, it's like he never says anything bad. I, I can't – I don't know how who coached him or if it's just natural, but it's just – he never has a bad answer to anything. Right. And I've had so many discussions with people in this business I respect so much – Paul Daner Jr., who covers the Bengals for The Athletic, we had a long conversation about this. 
And it was, Paul, how, how much do you think of what Joe Burrow says is prepared? You know, that, that he goes in there with, with a thought that he's going to do it. And, uh, you know, we, we talked around it. We, we've yet to land on what we think is a solid answer. If it's yes, if it's no, if it's some of it. But he, you're right. He Not only does he always have something uh, poignant to say, but he never steps in it. He, 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 he does a great job of giving you something without giving you everything. And he always feels like he has a prepared answer for no matter what comes up. Because, look, there have been a couple of really important topics that have come up here recently. And we can debate whether a quarterback or a football team should be answering questions about gun control or abortion to major, major topics right now in American society. Joe has opinions. And he shared those opinions. And by and large, those opinions were met with positive reviews because the guy is thoughtful. Uh, he's prepared. And he just seems ready for anything. And I think that's been the most impressive part about it. It's for a guy as young as he was coming in to a spotlight like he was as the starting quarterback from day one, how prepared he was for this side of his of his job. And it's a big part of his job is being available and answering questions sometimes that are uncomfortable. And he's yet to mess up. And it just it goes back to me, someone you're right. Either he's been coached or he's just that naturally intelligent to be prepared for anything because it feels like he always is. Yeah, and some people are like that. You know, there's there's a, a scant few of us on the planet that just have that natural charisma. So whether it's coaching or natural charisma, I am might lean towards B, natural charisma in his case. Joe, let's switch gears. If you weren't covering sports, what would you be doing? Ha, wow. <laughs> uh, sports are such a big part of my life. It would probably be something in sports. I've always said, and, you know, I, it goes back to my love of basketball, there's a big part of me that would love to be part of a basketball coaching staff, whether it's a head coach, whether working in the video department, assistant coach, recruiting. I, I find basketball relationships and coaching fascinating because it's such a small roster. Okay. It's usually 13, 14, 15 guys and a staff and, and they become so close there. There's mentoring, there's team building, there's team bonding that goes with that kind of stuff. And I've always found basketball coaches to be the most revealing about their team, their selves, and um, their personality. And more than any sport, I think you see teams take on the personality of their coach, basketball coaches. So that's always been in the back of my mind, something to do uh, with basketball and on a coaching staff. But I think anybody, Frank, who's in any kind of a, a media business just longs for a job that they can punch out of and turn off. Okay. So when I go to restaurants and I, I grew up and, you know, you live in Jersey, but I'm sure you've heard of Skyline Chili, right? Yes. Big time thing here in Cincinnati. That's where I worked in high school. I was making cheese conies and three ways and all the chili. <laughs> and I long for people coming to me. In my job, I always have to approach people, right? I'm dependent on people giving me their time all the time, whether it's professional athletes in a locker room down at Paul Brown Stadium or Great American Ballpark with the Reds, approaching them, asking them questions, calling people about stories, asking people for their time to meet at a place to talk about something great they've done. I would love to have a job where people come to me, and I don't always have to go out and approach them. It would be great for once not to have other people always have to give me their time. So I think anybody who works in this business also is this kind of a 24-7 job. That if something big happens and big things have happened late at night, overnight, uh, you know, I worked in a previous city in Evansville, Indiana, where there was a massive plane crash of the entire Evansville basketball team a long time ago, and it happened overnight. 
And so everybody would have to drag themselves out of bed and go to work and cover this horrible story. Uh, so that's always in the back of your mind is I really can't get away from my phone. You know, if something big happens, I always have to be on call to go to work. So to have the relief of any kind of a job where I could just punch out and go home and just, you know, crack open a cold beer and not worry about life for a few hours would be great. Uh, but that's that's part of the gig. I signed up for it is to always be ready in case something big happens, because who knows? In five minutes, Frank, David Bell could be fired from the Reds. Right. And I have to go to work immediately just like that. So you're always on call. So I think it would be either as a basketball coach or anything outside of a job that had me on call 24 seven. Yeah. And with, with the glamor of the position that you have, people don't see that side of it, that you're, you're on call and it, it it's life consuming. So definitely understood there. What's the most bizarre or obscure event that you've had to cover in your career? <laughs> uh, look, I've done it all. I mentioned earlier, I've gone everywhere from the Super Bowl to like a, a wiffle ball tournament. Probably the most obscure thing I've done in this business. And this was fun. This is a fun story. There's a guy who puts on a, and I'm going to mention here, David Fulcher name drop. Uh, David Fulcher's part of this. It's for David Fulcher's foundation. He has a yearly Tecmo Bowl tournament, Super Tecmo Bowl. Anybody who had Nintendo from the 90s played Super Tecmo Bowl, and this guy has a Tecmo Bowl tournament. He brings people from all over the country into a bar here in Cincinnati, and they play games, and this is intense. Like, I was walking around with the camera, and guys like, dude, get out of my way. I'm trying to win this game. I'm like, I'm just trying to get some video. You guys are having a great time here. So that's probably the most obscure thing I've covered. But again, it got such an amazing response from people watching it on television. Like, oh, man, I remember playing that. I want to be involved in that next year. And so that was kind of cool. It was very obscure, but I think covering a Tecmo Bowl tournament here in Cincinnati probably has to take the cake as the most obscure thing I've covered. You know what? I would agree. And those those guys on the screen move pretty one-dimensionally and pretty slow. Well, they go up um, and down. That's why you always – no one was allowed to be Bo Jackson because Bo Jackson <laughs> was a cheat code. Have you ever done any interviews or any segments that kind of went awry or any, any stories like that? And I don't want to, I don't want to hang anybody out to dry here, but any, any like crazy stories like that? Oh yeah. I've, I've had several of those. And, and look, that, that's part of the job is a lot of times you're going to ask questions that a, you know, the answer to, or B, you know, is going to elicit an emotional response from players. But I think sometimes part of the job is, is putting your chest out there and taking the bullet for the fan base. To, for, for them to answer questions that need to be answered. So let's go back to when Vontez Perfect had the big play in the 2015 playoff game against the Steelers, right? Fans wanted to hear what he had to say after the game. And I remember being around his locker, and it was it was a group of about 20 people. And Vontez was still getting dressed. And kind of the etiquette is when you're in the locker room and a player's getting dressed, you wait till they're done dressing until you address them with questions. And so it was this real awkward five minutes of everybody making sure they were in position to have the good shot of Vontez when he turned around and was ready. And after about five minutes of this really awkward silence, I, I finally said, look, someone's got to ask a question here. So I popped in with basically asking him and look, anybody who listens to this podcast is a big Bengals fan. And we understood that, you know, Vontez, uh, you know, rightfully so sometimes felt like he was targeted and refereed differently by referees because of his reputation, right? So I asked him if he thought that penalty, and look, we had only seen a few replays of the way he hit Antonio Brown, and he had a chance there really to lay Antonio Brown out, and he pulled off to the side, hit him with his shoulder in the helmet, which is a flag, which I understand why, but I asked him if, if he thought that flag 
came out because of his reputation. And he popped back with, what do you think? And I said, Vontez, respectfully, no one cares my opinion on this. They want to hear what you have to say. And he basically walked off and he walked out, didn't answer any questions. That's one that pops into mind. Uh, the big one is, and look, and anybody watching or, or listening to this can Google my name, Joe Daneman and Adam Jones, Pac-Man. He and I had a very famous uh, interview that went south very quickly. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you the short version of the story. This was his first time back in the locker room after his last arrest in Cincinnati. And there's a lot of fans who uh, at that point, it kind of had, um, had seen the video. Um, and it was uh, shocking video. Some of the stuff he said to some of the police officers, and this was our first time to, to talk to him since then. And I approached him and Pac-Man and I actually had a really good relationship. We had, we had a lot of fun together. Uh, we had, a, we had, we had good interviews back and forth. He actually would watch our station and call me out on, on some, you know, predictions I made, you know, this was lighthearted stuff. I approached him. I said, Adam, can you do a quick interview? And he said, I'm not going to talk about any court stuff. And so in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, I understand it. And, uh, you know, I asked him a few questions about his off season, about the upcoming training camp and off season conditioning. And in the back of my mind being a, trying to be a respectable journalist, I, I couldn't come back to my station in front of my bosses or put Adam Jones on TV and not address the elephant in the room. Right. So how can I approach this? with also staying within the ground rules that I agreed to that I wouldn't bring up any quote unquote court stuff. So I asked him how meaningful it was to him to have Mike Brown be in his corner because Adam had messed up a few times, been arrested and the Bengals had brought him back each time and he got teary eyed and gave a great answer. And I, I thought at that point he had opened the door for us to talk more about this. Meantime, the rest of the media had descended onto this conversation and had joined mid conversation. And we're not there for when Adam and I said at the beginning that we agreed not to talk about any quote unquote court stuff. So I followed up one more. I said, Adam, is there any message you'd like to send to the fans? Because a lot of fans saw the video were pretty disappointed. I thought that was an open-ended question and a form for him to speak to the fans. And uh, he blew up on me. He blew up on me and it's fine. I've been yelled at by athletes before by coaches before uh, he kept coming after me, yelled at me a lot. I, I left the conversation. I had no problem with it. I thought that ended there. Look, athletes blow their top. It's an emotional sport. I'm asking questions that elicit emotional responses. I get it. I thought that was over there. Well, a couple of newspaper writers wrote a story about the confrontation he and I had, and it went wild. It went crazy. Uh, I got calls from everybody from ESPN to the Colin Coward show to uh, Levitard show for my reaction of what was happening. And I was like, well, this is just locker room stuff. This stuff happens uh, until Twitter got a hold of it. And the video was made public and people came after me on Twitter. It was hard. It was, it was a hard couple of days uh, to get run through kind of the Twitter cycle and the news cycle and to be bashed when people didn't know the full story behind what Adam and I had talked about before we start the interview and, uh, you know, it's, it's a live and learn situation. And, and my boss has asked me to, to write up a story on this. And I wrote up a story on it. And uh, I, I said, I don't, I don't want my name attached to it other than I will, I will make a statement. And my statement was, uh, I regret becoming part of the story. I don't regret asking him hard questions. And uh, to this day, I stand by that. And I stand by that. And, and Adam and I, you know, we don't have a relationship anymore. I saw him at the Super Bowl. We made eye contact and went our separate ways. 
he's doing a great thing right now, Frank. He's, he's, he's helping raise Chris Henry's son here in town. And Chris Henry's son is becoming a huge recruit in the Cincinnati area. And it's an amazing story and a story I'd love to share with, with our viewers. And I can't touch it because of my relationship with Adam has, has gone south. And that, that's fine. Um, I get it. And, um, you know, I let him be. And, uh, but that, that's one that's always stuck out to me and it is a lesson to, and I tell the story often to, to young journalists in this business that, that that's going to happen. That, that's going to happen in this business sometimes. And uh, to me, that that's the one example I have of an interview that went south really quick. Wow. And it, it seems like you went in with good intentions and trying to do the right thing and you had a relationship with them. And I'll tell you, both of those guys are two of my favorite Bengal defenders of all time. And they're two of the toughest, craziest Bengals of all time. I mean, Vontez Perfect was like our Ray Lewis. You know, yeah. he was like that kind of enforcer out there. And Adam Jones, I, I met him up close and he was so intense. I was like, I don't even want to say the wrong thing to this guy. Just as a fan, like approaching him and, and trying to give him a kind word. I, I can't even imagine having him being that angry with me. Like, yeah. I, 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 and I'm not trying to to schmooze with you, but I give you credit because those are, those are two guys who I don't think many people in the world would want to have mad at them. No. And to your point, I think the Bengals needed that kind of edge on their defense at that time uh, because they didn't have a real, real side. I, mean, I guess Andrew Whitworth for a while was a real solid leader for the offense, but they didn't have Joe Burrow who everybody looked to and, and they needed somebody to give them that kind of edge. And I think Vontez and Adam, uh, not only were very talented football players, but I think also provided that. But to your point, um, you could see it. It was a very uh, emotional and, and and lighthearted to that point conversation with Adam Jones, and then a switch flipped, and it was it was scary. You're right, it was scary. I left the conversation. We he was nose to nose with me using obviously words I can't use here, uh, but it was. It was hard, and, and the weird thing about it was was there was a lot of people in the room just just watching and observing and, and not trying to diffuse a situation. And I remember the only thing I can do in this situation, I kept saying this. I said, "Adam, just say what you got to say." I said, "Just say what you got to say," and he said it. He let it all out and just just undressed me in front of everybody. Uh, never got physical. Um, uh, can, I, I can't sit here and say I wasn't worried it was going to become physical because the man was when you're nose to nose with a man. Uh, like that it, it's hard it's hard not to be prepared for anything uh, but it never got to that point but yeah it was without question a a a, uh, a jolting scary kind of feeling to to be nose to nose with 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 a guy like that who was that angry at that moment it was it was hard it was tough um, but yeah. you know it's part of the thick skin you got to have sometimes to do this job yeah and, and he had a reputation for having a short fuse as much mm -hmm. as I, I respected him as a player without a doubt mm -hmm. And shame on the other people in the room, like sitting back, back and wanting to just watch the barbecue rather than like trying to help out. But I guess that's a societal issue. Yep. Um, you know, let's move on to some Bengal stuff now. And I, I, you gave me way more than I thought we were going to get just a, kind of a soft answer to that. And you pull no punches, Joe. That's 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 great stuff. You know, really crazy stories, but very entertaining. Um, what's your best Bengals memory? Oh, wow. Best Bengals memory. Okay, I got one. Um, you know, people are going to point back to <laughs> my job is interesting. Okay, so people, I, th I think that the highs and lows of the Super Bowl run. So my job is interesting when they played the AFC Championship and people would say, wow, that, that celebration on the field must have been wild. 
my job required me to go on TV immediately after the game ended. So I was outside of the stadium because CBS had the rights to the game. I couldn't be live inside the stadium. So as the game went to overtime, I had to leave the press box and go stand outside the stadium and be ready for the second the game ended because the second the game ended, we're on TV. So I was outside of the stadium listening to the crowd's groans and cheers. And all I heard was I heard this huge groan and it was the interception, right? The interception Patrick Mahomes threw. And I was like, what happened? What happened? And I'm, I'm just following on ESPN's game tracker. And I see interception like 30 seconds later on my little phone. So I can't say the AFC championship was my favorite Bengals memory because I was outside of the stadium and just listening to crowd groans and then had to go on TV and talk about it. My personal favorite memory was the night they beat Tennessee. I was standing under the goalposts. I was shooting that game on the sideline. So myself and my other coworker, Jeremy, we're a two-man sports department. We shoot all our own stuff. So I had a camera on my shoulder. I was standing under the goalpost as the ball went up and went in. And then I went full sprint to midfield to get the celebration shots of Evan McPherson being hugged by Joe Burrow, of Joe Burrow celebrating with the fans, of C.J. Uzama doing this victory lap. Because, Frank, for the first time, it felt like, and I don't, I don't want to make this about me, but, you know, this is a memory I have. It felt like I was documenting sports history in Cincinnati. Because, right, we, we've talked about in this conversation the idea of there's so many outlets who are covering these games and nationally, and the NFL is such a national sport and it doesn't feel a lot like, you know, you're giving people any kind of unique content. But for that five minutes on the field where where guys were hugging, where they were down on the ground and they wanted to get in front of a camera and say something because Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins ran right up to the camera and Joe Mixon ran right up to the camera and they were yelling things to the fans. And I was going to get to share this stuff with Cincinnati and Joe Burrow, the guy who's always stone faced and never shows emotion went running off the field, slapped his hands together, and yet, come on, to the crowd like that, and was high-fiving people. That five minutes was, was I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because I'm getting so much energy, was, was more energy I felt in my job than I can ever remember. So the celebration on the field after the Bengals beat Tennessee was something I've never felt. And the cool thing for my job was it was uh, – so that game was, was on in the afternoon, and then we had on Fox – the NFC playoff game, it was the Packers and the Niners were playing in the late game. And we were on live right after that game. So we had a huge audience. Everybody watches every NFL game, right? So the Bengals win and everybody then flips over to Fox to watch this NFC game. And we had a huge audience coming out of that game because it came down to the final seconds. And as soon as the game went off, our news anchors threw to myself and Jeremy live on the field in Tennessee. And we got to share all this video and share all this post-game reaction. And that was the night Joe Burrow changed it from why not us to it is us. And Cincinnati went wild with that. And I had so many people. (laughs) I've been doing this job for 20-plus years. I got my phone was going wild. And the cool thing is about my job, I use my phone. I plug into my phone so my producers can use a cell phone number to talk to me in my ear, a little earpiece. My phone just kept buzzing and buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. It was people watching Fox because they had just watched the Packers game and like, dude, you're on TV. You're covering the Bengals going to the Super Bowl. Well, they're going to Kansas city, then to the Super Bowl. And I had so many people, I'm like, guys, I've been doing this for 20 years, but people at bars and people at home and so many people texting me pictures of me on TV, covering the Bengals, winning this road playoff game for the first time in forever, that half hour of celebrating on the field 
getting that amazing post-game press conference with Joe Burrow and then going on the field and talking to people and reporting live from Tennessee after this win was a high that I'm not sure I'll ever get again in this business. That is my all-time favorite Bengals memory is documenting that celebration because it felt different. It felt unique and it felt so important to be there and be part of that and, and bring those images and that video to Cincinnati. That's amazing. And, and and that is a culmination of all the work that you put in for the team. You were actually a part of that celebration. You weren't just someone covering it from outside the stadium or on TV or with a microphone a million miles away. You were interacting with that celebration. And I'm jealous. I got to say, yeah. I'm jealous. <laughs> and the cool thing is, like, when you're around it often, like, you know, I, I know these guys don't know me by, by name or, or know much about me. Uh, but they recognize the face and they know it's a Cincinnati guy. So they find the Cincinnati camera and they want to talk to that person because they recognize the person. And I, I think that makes a big time difference in doing what I do is like, Oh, I know that guy. I'm going to go talk to his camera. So like Tyler boy was going on, like bring on anybody. We'll play anybody. I'm like, Oh, you're going to play the chiefs next week. It's probably not. And what do I know? Right. They went on to beat the chiefs. So it was really cool to kind of have those personal interactions with those guys at that point, because you're right. I, I've been around these guys since the start of their career. All these guys, you know, I, I've been working in Cincinnati for 20 plus years. All these guys, their whole time in Cincinnati, you know, I've been in their face nagging them with questions and it, and it pays off in moments like that. And it pays off. I'm sure I'll tell you a story here about Jamar Chase and Jimmy Chase out at the Super Bowl when we start talking about the Super Bowl. Excellent. Um, who, who are your votes for Ring of Honor for this year? Oh, wow. Um, okay. So, Give me some options because the first one that comes to, he- to mind is, is Chad. Uh, you know, Ch- Chad to me is more than just numbers. Chad, Chad is a personality and a movement in Cincinnati that took the Bengals from the nineties to back to being nationally relevant. And I, I think Chad is, is more important than just a stat, a number, a person. Chad, Chad was the embodiment of, of the Bengals becoming cool again. So as soon as Chad can get in, um, and I, I would need to see all the names in front of me for Ring of Honor, but I would love to see Chad going as soon as possible. Plus, just selfishly doing what I do to have Chad back and, and to be celebrating uh, you know, him and to get him on TV is, is, is gold. <laughs> Chad is TV gold, so I want Chad up there. Um, Willie Anderson, right? Willie Anderson, as soon as possible, deserves to be in. Uh, so those are two that pop into mind. But I, I think if I saw a list of people, I would probably pull out the, you know, the Lamar Parishes of the world, uh, talking about some older guys. Um, but, yeah, Chad, Chad and Willie are, are two from my era that I, I think should go in as soon as possible. Yeah, I agree with those. And I start pushing for the older guys because I want them to get in before they leave the earth, I guess. Great. But yep. the two that you mentioned are, are definitely getting in eventually and more sooner than later, I, I would say. Next Bengal to make the Hall of Fame? Ken Riley. I think the fact that the, and I I just talked to uh, a couple of people because Willie Anderson was in town for a rally here in Cincinnati to create more momentum for more Bengals to get into the Hall of Fame. And I do think Willie Anderson, I think he has a great chance of getting in. Uh, But I think Ken Riley, the fact that the senior committee is now going to nominate more players instead of just one, they're, they're, I believe they're going up to three here the next couple of years to try to get more of these guys in because the backlog of former players who should be in is getting really long. There are so many important people in football 
that take up for Ken Riley, some really important voices. And so I, I do think based on stats, based on momentum, and I do think the momentum of the organization helps. I think the fact that the Bengals have become a more household talking point here in the last year, more people are, are, are looking at their history, are taking Bengals more seriously. But I also think some of those really important voices who have stumped for Ken Riley here the last couple of years, I think he's the one to get in. I, I do think Ken Anderson should be in. I think Ken Riley should be in. I think Willie Anderson will get in. But I think Ken Riley should be the first and the next Bengal to get in. That's that's a very respectable answer. Yeah, I would say one of the two Kens should be next. So yeah. we'll see how that plays out. All right, this is a big one. Describe how it was covering a Bengal Super Bowl from your experiences and your perspective. It was wild. It was different. It was it was COVID-ish. Okay, so uh, most of the stuff we did was over Zoom. We only had one in-person availability, and that day was nuts. It was the Friday before the game, and the Bengals practiced at UCLA. And uh, it was really cool because their hotel where they were staying was walking distance to the practice field. So they would walk from the hotel to the field amongst all the students of UCLA. Now they had like a little area guarded by security and a little red carpet they would walk. But uh, to kind of see them interact with some of the students was cool. But the number of people who were at this availability was just, it was insane. It was crazy. And it was, uh, it was fun. Again, it was one of those things like, man, I'm, I'm covering something people care about. Uh, so that was cool, but it forced us to pivot a little bit, Frank, away from, um, you know, What's cool about the Super Bowl is you get a chance in this availability to talk to these guys. Because I've covered other Super Bowls in person. Um, when I worked in Indiana, I covered a Colts Super Bowl. When Chad played for the Patriots, they made a Super Bowl that was played in Indianapolis. And I went up to cover that as well. And you get all these interactions with these players throughout the week. We didn't get that because of COVID. So everything was done through Zoom. And so we had to kind of pivot away from doing stories with the players to pivot on doing stories about the players from their family's perspective. Okay. So we did uh, a story with Jimmy chase on Jamar. I did a story with Evan McPherson's parents about Evan. I did a story about Jackson Carmen with his folks because he's from Cincinnati. Uh, his, his mom and his brother were up at the Super Bowl. I did a story with them. And so it was kind of transitioning away from doing stories or doing fun interactions with players and telling the personal stories from the family perspective, because we could get access to them in person where it was, you know, keeping the players quarantined and uh, arm's length from anybody outside of their little bubble for that entire week until that one in-person event, which even then we were 20 yards away from them. They were up in the stands and we were on the field, you know, t- trying to do interviews 20 yards away from people. So that to me was a little bit different. The cool thing was, and I never expected this, was they allowed each local station to have one camera on the field, which, you know, I cover NCAA tournaments, can't do that. You know, you cover college football, playoff games, and national championships, you can't do that. So for the fact that the Super Bowl allowed each of the local TV stations, Fox, CBS, ABC, NBC, to have one camera down there. And I pulled rank on that one, man. I, I've got the title of sports director. I said, seniority rules here. I got the camera. I was on the field. And – That was such a crazy experience because for as much as it felt like once the game started, a normal NFL game, it felt like it wasn't overcrowded on the sideline. It didn't feel huge. I mean, the the stadium was amazing. The graphics were cool. The music was great, but it felt like a football game. It felt like an NFL game. 
but the people watching was off the charts. They have these on-field suites, and I walk out there. I'm like, how different is this going to be? There's Justin Bieber and Devin Booker. I'm like, well, that's different. There's one of the Kardashians. There's The Rock. There's Don Cheadle. And I'm just going up and down these sidelines. Like, these are A-listers. I mean, this is unbelievable. There's Ludacris. There's Emmett Smith. It was unbelievable. And I, I spent the whole game, my wife was like, send me all these pictures. I'm like, there's Snoop. There's Dr. Dre. And so I spent my whole game with a camera on my shoulder and, like, my cell phone in my hand trying to get pictures of all these celebrities from my wife who was back home watching. So that part of the experience was nuts. It was it was completely different. Nothing I've ever experienced. But the actual game itself felt like a normal NFL game until the final five minutes when it was, even with me, without a dog in the fight. I'm from Cincinnati, grew up a Bengals fan. You know, I've, I've checked the fandom at the door, and I, I take pride in the fact that I cover these games, at least try to come with them with an unbiased take, an unbiased view. Uh, but that final five minutes, even for a guy who had no dog in the fight, man, my heart was pumping because, like, this is it. Super Bowl. This, and I talked to Joe Mixon about this throughout the week. Like, man, you don't get many opportunities like this. You know, we might think this team is young and they're loaded and they are going forward, but it's still really hard to get here. And so you have to take advantage of that moment when you can. And I thought they had it. Uh, I thought I, I had in the back of my mind all the thoughts about what I was going to do, what I was going to ask, where I was going to go if they won, and then all the flags came out and everything else happened. And we all know what happened in the final two minutes. But th- just covering the Super Bowl, just just everything around it was so different. It felt so big and so cool and so well thought out. Uh, that's what felt different. The actual game to me felt like a normal NFL Sunday game. Wow. And you know, that's how it is, too. Every Super Bowl I watch, even the Bengals Super Bowl, which I was very hypersensitive to, obviously, once the game gets going, you realize it just is like a normal football game and, and time passes and it's, it's not as long as, as you think it's going to be. And right. I had a lump in my throat for a lot of that game. And when the second half started and we had the Higgins touchdown and then the Awuzie interception, I was kind of like looking at the people I was with, like, I, well, I was like planning my, my victory speech at that moment. And, yeah. You know, yeah, it was, sure. It was crazy, but yeah, yeah I've, I'm right there with you. I had the same kind of feelings. So speaking of the Super Bowl, what do you think in short are the keys to going back to the Super Bowl for us? I think, look, we all, we all know how good the AFC is. The AFC is loaded. Uh, I think you just have to put yourself in the tournament and hope the breaks go your way. Um, you know, for, for me to sit here and say, oh, they got to be healthy. They got to stay healthy. I, that, that's, that's the number one reason they made the Super Bowl last year. They had an amazing run of uh, non-injuries and, and, and fortunate health. Uh, you, you look at, like, I remember during the Raiders game when Trey Hendrickson went down and you saw how vulnerable that defense looked once he was off the field. And I was saying to myself, man, it's amazing how one player can make this big of a difference. So to me, obviously, uh, you, you got to stay healthy. Uh, you know, you, you got to have at least seven or eight of your top 10 players ready and, and ready to rock once the, once the playoffs start. Um, and the Bengals had that good fortune last year. But I think this year, if you're going to look at any X's and O's, I think they have to find a way to get another person getting to the quarterback. Because I think, look, if, if they go, if they make the playoffs, which everybody expects, and all things considered, health is fine. I think it's the only way you can look at it. You can't predict injuries. So if you look at every roster and say everybody's healthy and here they go, they're going to get a chance to go play in the playoffs. And you're talking about the Bills and the Chargers and the Chiefs, all the teams we expect to make it. I think the one way for the Bengals to get back to the Super Bowl is finding somebody else to get to the quarterback. It cannot be Trey Hendrickson 
almost by himself. I, I know Sam Hubbard has moments here and there. And I know they're high on Joseph Osai. Can be he can he be the guy that comes in who looked really good last year in in the offseason, looked really good in training camp, looked good in his in his preseason game against Tom Brady. Can he be a guy who comes in and really helps support Trey Hendrickson from the other side of the field? Because if you can't get pressure on the quarterback, uh, these quarterbacks are going to be facing Patrick Holmes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. We assume these teams are going to make the playoffs. Uh, those guys will carve you up. They, they will. If, if, if Trey Hendrickson is the only guy trying to get to the quarterback. So uh, that to me is if everything is equal and health is there, I think they're going to have to find somebody else to get to the quarterback because we know what the offense is going to do. They're going to be great. They're going to be great. They're going to be better as, as long as that offensive line stays healthy and those guys are as good as we think they are. I just think they have to find somebody else who can create some kind of pressure on the quarterback and take some of the pressure off Trey Hendrickson. Joe, I mean, that's a lot of what I said during this year in my podcast. I said the defense looks entirely different with Trey Hendrickson in the lineup and out of the lineup. So I agree with you a thousand percent on that point. What rookie or free agent are you most looking forward to seeing this season? So the free agents, um, obviously, you're looking forward to seeing those three linemen play. And I'll say this about and I'm still learning how to say his name, Lael Collins, uh, when he's at practice. First of all, I've been really impressed with his professionalism, all three of them, by the way, Karis Kappa and Collins. But, you know, Collins, you know, when he comes here, you know, he's a, he's a big time name. He played in Dallas. Uh, he's as big as a building. I, when that guy walks into a room, he looks like a refrigerator. He is so wide. He is so wide. It's, it's striking how wide he is. He's really, really a worker at practice. I've been really impressed with his work ethic so far at practice. To come in here, play a glamour position on the offensive line, a guy who played for one of the NFL's glamour franchises, he comes here, he says he's Joe Burrow's bodyguard, and the guy means it. He, he shows up to practice. He works. He's, he's very impressive. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how good he's going to be on the offensive line and see if he can move bodies all day long on Sundays for Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon. But the one I'm really looking forward to is, is the rookie out of Nebraska, Cam Taylor Britt. Not only is he, if you throw on his game tape, you look at him up on YouTube, your jaw will drop with how athletic this guy is. It's unbelievable, the athleticism. Plus, he plays the game with the swag and attitude that TV people like. He, he says some things that I, I like to hear when he got drafted, when he did his press conference. He did it virtually over a phone, uh, but he was very confident. Um, and was, wasn't afraid to tell us about how good he was. And I really do think, I think there's a good chance early in the season, he's on the field and Eli Apple isn't. I, I, I really think Eli Apple is going to be looking over his shoulder at this kid and have a hard time keeping him off the field. So he's the one I'm looking forward to most. If you ask me about free agents and rookies, I think there is a spot for Cam Taylor Britt to come in right away, make his presence known, and also become a hit inside the locker room with his with his personality. So he's the one I'm looking forward to most. Everybody's going to be pointing to the offensive line, as they should be. They've got to protect Joe Burrow. The Bengals have one job, right? The front office has one job. Make this as comfortable as possible for Joe Burrow here the next two years so that he re-signs a second deal in Cincinnati. They have one job. Make this as attractive as they possibly can so Joe Burrow never wants to leave. And they did that. They reworked the entire offensive line in one offseason. They saw the problem. They understood the ramifications of Joe Burrow getting hit and him changing and him getting 
banged up and injured and him wanting to leave and changing his mind about staying in Cincinnati. So they've had one job and they, they've addressed it and they, they've got to be able to make the environment to where Joe Burrow wants to sign that big Patrick Mahomes deal here in Cincinnati. So everybody's going to be looking to the offensive line. I get it, but I'll be looking to the defensive side. I think Cam Taylor Britt has a really good chance of carving out an early role for himself and then being a fan favorite with his personality. I agree with all those points. I agree with the fact that you want to keep Burrow healthy and happy. And I also like the perspective because, you know, we as fans can can read about who's doing what in practices, but you've been there. You're, you're, the eye test is what I believe more than anything. So you've already had the eye test with Lael Collins and Cam Taylor Britt. So, you know, your information that you're passing on to us is more valuable than me reading it, you know, in a million different sources or seeing things on Twitter. So very much appreciated there. So, Joe, I wanted to end with kind of a little fun game. I, I wanted to do player word association where I say the name of a player. Okay. And you say the first thing that pops in your head. We'll just run through maybe six, seven guys. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Joe Burrow. Prepared. A.J. Green. Professional. Evan McPherson. Calm. Boomer Esiason. Blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, yeah, I, I think that's the persona, right? It's, it's, it's the hair. It, it's the hair. It's Boomer. It's everything. It's, it's, that, it's that, that kind of coolness that was, uh, yeah, Boomer Esiason. So, so blonde comes to mind. <laughs> well, speaking of different kind of color hairs, Andy Dalton. Um, personable. Trey Hendrickson. Um, surprising. I was surprised how good he was. Me too. Yeah. I, I saw the one big year he had in new Orleans. I was like, are they really going to give this much money to this guy? He surprised me. He's, he is that good. Yeah. We thought it was all like cam Jordan related, but it, it wasn't as we yeah. as we saw He's that guy. He's good. Carson Palmer. Complicated. Jeremy Hill. Misunderstood. And lastly, Jamar Chase. Gritty. <laughs> That's him, right? With a T and with a D. <laughs> correct. Correct. And, and, and I think and I, I say that, you know, kind of half coy, but also half serious. That's who he is. That's And it's been fun being around Jamar inside that room because he plays the game with that kind of joy and that kind of energy. And I, I think everything the gritty's about is what he's about. And, you know, he, he embraces the idea that it's a, it's a game and that it's, he wants to dance and have fun and play with energy and score touchdowns. And I don't think he's embarrassed to do that. And I, I think that's, uh, I think he needs that in, in, you know, to, to be a successful player and to be as good as he is. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm kind of glad I said that because, you know, it, it, it's his whole persona. His whole persona is the gritty. That's who he is. And you're right with, with D's and with T's. I, I think that's a great way to put it. Uh, yeah. So uh, Jamar Chase gritty. Yeah. I like that. Joe, I, I want to thank you for this. This was an amazing interview. People are going to enjoy every second of this. And I enjoyed every second of this. You're a great guy. And this was so much fun. I enjoy doing stuff like this, Frank, because, uh, um, there's a lot of times, and I have, I have a co-anchor of mine who always says like, you need to write a book because there's a lot of like so many like locker room stories locked in the back of my head that, you know, I, I, I could tell my brothers when we're, you know, at, at holiday parties, that kind of thing. So many experiences. Um, so to, to get out 
on, on this for an hour and, and to kind of relay some of those stories and talk about them. And it's, it's kind of energizing to me to, to, to remember those moments like in Tennessee or to, to think about how privileged I am to, to be able to go on some of these trips and meet some of the people I am. It's, it's a good reminder how cool of a gig I have and uh, how hard it is to, to keep it and why people like me have to work hard to keep it because so many people want to do it. Agreed. Joe, thanks again. I'll, I'll catch you very soon, my friend. You got it, Frank. Thanks. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode, we're going to continue to review the Bengals offseason, and we're going to have another heavyweight special guest, which is going to be a surprise for now. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.